Hello, and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Ian Watt, Managing Director of YMNU's Music Division, a leading management company for clients in sport, music, drama, and entertainment. Ian, hello. Hi, how are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for coming on the program today. Um, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Leader um, means somebody who can help guide and influence um, a team or group of people to, for the benefit of the environment, culture, or their business. How would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I mean, I think it's, well, inclusive. So every single person in my team is valued and important and contributes to what we do and how we achieve our aims and goals. So the most important thing is to always think and swim or rise and fall as a team. So for me, it's the collective, the collective value of the team will override always any personal ego or importance um, above anything else. So I think the ethos for us is definitely on teamwork, sharing information, allowing each individual member of the team to support each other, guide each other, help each, uh, help each other out of difficult and challenging situations. And I guess it's also really important to <clears throat> make sure you have the right blend in your team mm-hmm. and understand mm-hmm. that the skills and experiences that those individuals um, have in, to, on their own can be blended to create the right environment and the right attitude, which is, will be uh, represented right across the team to deliver, I hope, better results for, uh, for the business as a whole. So it sounds like there's quite a lot of this uh, just starts at recruitment. I beg your pardon? So it sounds like quite a lot of uh, the success of a leader begins at those that the leader recruits. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously your job as a leader of a group or a, or, or a country or a business or whatever it is to ensure that you have the right team of people around you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I first started out managing my own business, I didn't probably put enough emphasis on the recruitment process and making sure that that was done correctly and it was done in a stringent way and also more analysis was done on exactly the sorts of individuals and resources you needed within the team. And as I grew and developed as a, a, a my business and as I grew and developed as a, a leader, that b- became more and more um, scientific is probably the, a little too formal, but it definitely mm-hmm. became more developed in terms of ensuring that those the, the requirements and the individuals that we targeted and recruited was, was of utmost importance. And when you are recruiting new staff, are you looking for blank canvases or are you looking for puzzle pieces that you can fit together? I mean, normally puzzle pieces we can fit together, but I certainly think one of the conversations which is a hot topic um, in our building at the moment is when we've had blank canvases, they've normally been developed from very entry-level positions. And we, unfortunately, if you work in central London and you work in the entertainment business, one of the things which I think is a, is a bit of an issue which needs to resolving is the cost of working in central London 
normally outweighs the amount that people are going to be paid in an entry-level role, which therefore means that the only people who are likely to be able to get those entry-level roles and then grow into important members of your team are going to come from a certain socio-demographic class or or, um, segment. And normally that will come from the upper end of those socio-economic segments. And I think it's really important that as a business, we are trying to open it up to anybody within the um, anybody who has the right skills levels of experience, regardless of your your economic background or your gender or your ethnic background. And that's something that we're working on as a team and, and a department to ensure that we allow as much talent from anywhere to enter our business and perform well in our business and succeed in our business. What solutions are there out there for that issue at the moment? Well, I guess the most basic one is paying people at an entry level more so they can actually come in and, you know, work in central London, maybe not live in central London, obviously, or not even in London, but certainly paying people more is really important. And we're also thinking about other things which we could do. Maybe there's uh, some sort of foundation where we, you know, pinpoint three or four people across the business. We ensure that they are given enough funding to come work with us, learn the basics of their roles and skills within our teams, maybe during a, a 12-month, an 18-month or a 24-month process. And at the end of that process, they will be a much better rounded candidate and they can get paid more money. So I think it's, it's, it's ensuring that that takes place. And I also think it's really important that there's probably, I think there's also a communication Issue. And I think the communication issue is making sure that people from various backgrounds know that the, a career path in the entertainment business is actually open for them and, and, and could be a brilliant way to, to further their career. Because I suspect that, you know, a lot of the time people probably think it's a very closed shop and very difficult to enter. And we want to open our doors and try and attract talent from whoever you are and wherever you are. Let's go back to the very beginning of your story when you were first entering the world of work. Was there any particular individual or situation that influenced the way that you lead today? There was a, when I, well, I mean, this is a long time ago. When I was a teenager, I worked in a clothes shop and this clothes shop was run by uh, an independent organization and the person who ran it had a very, he had a strong personality. He was um, very driven, very ambitious, incredibly hardworking. And I think from, you know, I know a clothes shop is probably, you know, a, it's a very small independent business. But when you're, it was, he was the only guy who, it was his business. It was wholly owned by him. He had a few members of staff, but Ultimately, the business would have failed or succeeded based on his own work ethic, attitude, drive, and ambition. Mm-hmm. And as a sort of 16-year-old guy who worked in there on, 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 as a Saturday boy, that was something which I found quite enthralling and mesmerizing to see how someone who's, who understood implicitly that the success or failure of their business and therefore whether they could pay the mortgage at the end of the month was so closely entwined into their own performance. 
And, you know, there was no hiding place. You know, he was, it was his business. He was pretty much the sole employee other than some part-time workers. And I admired the tenacity and the drive of this individual to, to want to work and want to make that business succeed. And he did that with very little input from anybody else in terms of expertise or resources. And I found his attitude to wanting to achieve his aims. I thought it was uh, a, a, a brilliant to behold. Now, just broadening the uh, topic a bit, if I was mm-hmm. to ask you to objectively identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? I know it's a tricky one. That is, <laughs> that is a tricky one. Um, I guess particularly in relation to my business, one of the, the sort of leaders that um, I thought was um, amazing is a guy called uh, Ahmet Erdogan. And he was a, uh, a, a, a Turkish, um, uh, I, I need to check the facts, but I don't, I don't think he was a refugee, but he was a Turkish immigrant. And he basically ended up in, uh, in uh, America. And he started a record company called Atlantic Records uh, right back in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s. And he turned that record company into an unbelievable powerful beast representing some of the most amazing artists of the generation, whether that, that could be everyone from Aretha Franklin through to, um, God, I'm trying to remember the list of amazing artists that he had initially on his, um, on his label. Um, Atlantic is uh, a legendary mark. Uh, and what is it about his leadership uh, strategy that appeals to you? Well, he he was, as I said, he was a he came to America as an as an immigrant, and um, you imagine the the music business today is still, despite the fact it earns billions of pounds for various organisations around the world. Back in those days, it was in, in, infinitely smaller, and to have the drive and wherewithal to kind of a start a record company, which probably was frowned upon quite aggressively by his friends and family or anyone he was wanted to speak to. And then to mont the drive to make that work. And not only that, to then work with a diverse range of artists coming from, you know, from jazz to, to, to rock to soul, which, you know, were kind of pretty underground kind of left kind of musical genres. And then to make those people globally successful and turn that organization into a global record company powerhouse. It's pretty amazing. So for somebody to have the odds stacked against them and still be able to deliver and create something of global significance, but also still today creates global cultural impact, I think is remarkable. And he, again, it's uh, these, he was probably him in a small office with maybe one or two people trying to change the world and in a, in a positive way. And he's managed to do it through drive and ambition and talent. So I think that is admirable for anybody. Now, unfortunately our time together is very quickly drawing to its close, but before I let you go, what does next 12 months have in store for Y, M and U? Um, we have a number of artists releasing music. So whether that's, Gary Barlow or Clean Bandit or Years and Years. So I'll be coming back with new 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 music and new projects. 
And in terms of our business, we are looking to grow and expand our team. So we want to recruit brilliantly talented people from every age and every background. And we also want to look to acquire other managers, management companies to grow our business, not only here, but also America. And we're also looking at developing our own IP projects with our clients or on behalf of our clients in order to um, extend and create better value in the businesses and uh, in their own businesses and their, in their careers. But Ian, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you. I think that we have a quite a lot more that we could actually discuss. I do hope that you come back on the program at some point in the near future. Ian, thank you. Thank you. That was Ian Watt, Managing Director of YMNU's Music Division. And now, if you haven't heard it before, it's Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it, and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and... um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that caliber can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with 
your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it peter's i think probably well i was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players i did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of england and west ham and martin peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as martin's concerned i think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, 
a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I were going to be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think, in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games. And I probably didn't quite replicate my, my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green's and Roger Allen. So I, mm. I had the, the impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Green's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, Jeff, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. 
And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while and said, oh, dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. On this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but I, then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did... Uh, um, but then again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but th- there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches people must 
realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field, surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to. Uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even, uh, certainly as a team, if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the, 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they they are not doing so well he's the best example of management I've seen we've seen we've probably ever seen and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again it's absolutely astonishing astonishing and do you think could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the, um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and, and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at There's that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody... And I'm going back from an earlier, earlier question for me that... Um, all hard-nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, 
and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single mind and uh, dedication dedication to the job um, thinking about that 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 role that job in leadership all the time it's a huge part of your life but it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level you may you know have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements. And it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.